Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pictards Podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Petards Podcast, the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with first episodes of a filmic series. Disclaimer listeners, petard is a real word, and it's a bomb, and it should remain non-discriminatory. Read your Shakespeare, folks. All right, and if you are new to the podcast, go ahead and visit our website, pilotsandpetards.com. Uh, to learn more about our podcast, you can follow our blog, you can participate in our pre-recording discussions. Yes, listeners, be the podcast you want to hear in the world with Pilots and Petards podcast, the podcast that listens to our listeners. This is your co-hoister, Drew. I am the pragmatic cyclops of this podcast, as well as this podcast, Kyle. And I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist Kenny of the podcast. And listeners, we would like to thank Fitzgerald Engineering for this ad-free episode of Pilots and Petards. If you would like to sponsor an episode so that our listeners can listen ad-free, you can contact us at our website, pilotsandpetards.com. All right, hoisters, unfortunately, motherfucking Miss Mo, master of the pilots and the zines, is out. But we are honored to have Jacob and Dane from the Punisher Body Count podcast. And I started listening to Jacob and Dane maybe six months ago or so when I was on, on a little Punisher kick. And I emailed them with my you know nerdy Punisher question, and they responded back. And I've been listening to them ever since. And so, Dane, Jacob, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, and then we'll uh, get started with the show. Hello, I'm uh, Jacob Williams, uh, one of the co-hosts of uh, Punisher Body Count. And uh, I don't know, I've been into comics and stuff ever since the uh, 90s X-Men cartoon and has been uh, going on from there. Kind of got into the Punisher around the time of uh, Ennis's iconic role. Uh, or run on it, but uh, yeah, thanks for having us on. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Jimbo. You're the one that emailed us, and then it took me like two months to respond because we lost it. That was I. Yeah, I'm very sorry about that. We try not to do that. That's cool, man. Worked out. Seems like a much more popular podcast. So thank you for lending <laughs> us your star power. Oh yeah, dude. And Dane, do you want to add in anything? Well, uh, I'm the other co-host to Punisher Body Count. I actually got into comics a little bit later on in life. Um, I, I've told that a few times, uh, that story a few times. But, but basically, I stumbled upon uh, just some comics that caught my eye when I was around 17 or something. And then um, con the whole continuity of American comics kind of kept me away for a little bit. But the Punisher actually was a really good gateway drug into the hobby simply because it uh you don't really need a lot of continuity with the punisher you can start and that's the that's a great thing and the worst thing about him because everyone kind of hits the reset button with him every couple of years uh but no so I, we, jake and i've been doing the punisher body count for goodness over six years now so we're on year seven yeah yes yeah, year seven and couldn't be happier with it yeah, well, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for uh, stroking my ego and making me feel important to, to be invited on. And and a few other things. Make sure when you type in our fucking name, it's Punisher Body Count. We got some pretenders and some haters, which are also our greatest indicators that we're being fucking successful. So don't go to those people. 
Don't go to those fucking Morlocks. They're trying to. Uh, <laughs> Don't go to Frank discussions. Yeah. You know, where oh. where there's intelligent people <laughs> having thoughtful, you know, sociopolitical uh, discussions upon the metatextual narrative of the Punisher mythos. No, go to <laughs> Punisher Body Count, where I will scream about heart attacks and Jake will talk about briskets for 10 minutes. It's good shit. It's the best. I like briskets. Yeah. The briskets are fucking great. That's where we stand. And I'm in my head, I'm trying to think of a Punisher podcast pun, and I can't get past Punisher, but how do I, like, make that audio pun? But fair enough. Fun- Punisher, more like Punisher. Am I right? God, having such a good time. <laughs> nice. There you go. There you go. Well, that's a great way to start. Yeah, and when you get tired of those puns, you go, like, more like Dunisher. How about the next segment? I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> I told you, Drew, watch out, man. I know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Okay, well, so join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the gritty Netflix superhero drama, The Punisher, will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. Imagine, but why don't you hit us up with that two-sentence summary, which is three sentences. The tune-in doesn't count. Frank Castle has finished killing all those involved in his family's murder. How will he now live his life as Pete Castiglione and... How bad is the new kid Donnie going to fuck it all up? Tune in to find out if you should care. That is so good. Plus, it sounds like a show that would show up on the Lifetime Network. Just give it like a woman's name. <laughs> mm-hmm. After the death of <laughs> Sheila's family. <laughs> this. Well, you got to go with Maria or something. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the mirror universe. After her marine husband and two children die, Maria <laughs> goes back home to her. Small town Oklahoma family to pick up the pieces of her life. Will she find love again? And will she finally win that blue that blue ribbon for that giant pig in the family? I don't know. And will she hire Beetlejuice to exact revenge from the grave? I would watch that. That sounds intriguing. <laughs> that's good. That, and like I, a very interesting pilot. Yeah. That wouldn't be our worst pilot. That's that's for sure. No. Still Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right. Wow, that's quite the bar. It's it's a bad pilot. It's a bad pilot. I've never seen it, but like amongst my friends, those would be like fighting words. If they rewatched the pilot, they'd probably wouldn't think so. Oh, maybe. I mean, I'm not judging. I've never seen it because Joss Whedon can go eat a bag of dicks. But, uh, you know, whatever. We're here to talk (laughs) about the Punisher. I tried watching Buffy a couple years ago and I thought maybe when I was being sexually awakened i would have imprinted on this show but really there's nothing for me now that show sucks skip you know, the like, first season if you're a 14 it, it rises year old up. it's just it rises up yeah. it's a lazarus <laughs> yeah. of shows yes and like I, that's no, what i'm thinking I everyone's dicks probably rose up during all those shows when they were 14 years old and just going like wow and one of them's a lesbian uh josh whedon just gets me man i hope he takes a huge role in all my nerd shit as i get older I feel like someone watched more Buffy than they're letting on, my friend. But that's okay. Oh. Let's get back to the I Punisher. did watch the musicals. I don't know. So I have a very skewed view of it. Back to the Punisher. And then I'm just going to share one thing I found. So John uh, uh, Berthenol did a, an interview with Esquire. And I didn't re- read the whole thing, but it was the January 2018 edition. But the one part that I found interesting was he, I guess he had complained that he thought the Punisher pilot wasn't very good. And then they just kind of stopped allowing him to be involved in the editing phase 
in quote from the article. He magically stopped getting to see rough cuts of the show. Nonetheless, the showrunner Lightfoot says he mostly appreciated Bernthal's hyper-involvement. Sometimes we'd scream at each other for 15 minutes, but it was never personal. It was never about his vanity. It was always about making the character better, and sometimes he'd suggest something and I'd go, shit, that's good, end quote. And it pretty much shows that John Berthal was very intense about being the Punisher. I, I do know from the early interviews, uh, apparently Bernthal researching the character would go to comic book stores and uh, the owners would load him up with Punisher comics and then they would just be like, don't screw this up, man. So I think uh, Bernthal took it really uh, personal and uh, had a lot of fan pressure on him to do a good job. So what you're saying doesn't really surprise me. I could see why he would think that, especially if he did a lot of reading on the Punisher, especially through the Garth Ennis Punisher, which was made very clear. Like he's been pictured with books holding like trade paperbacks from Punisher and Punisher Max and stuff. And in those stories, Frank is well into his vigilante lifestyle. He's not really having second thoughts about anything or, and he's not really going through any kind of, uh, I don't know, one third life crisis smashing concrete. But in the, in the context of the TV series, it makes total sense. It makes total sense for him to be a bit of a burnout it makes total sense for him to not want to um, really deal with anyone and deal with society. He's pretty happy being somewhat of a permit. I understand why he, and probably in John Bernthal's view, he wanted to be straight into the Punisher right away, similar to that manic phase in uh, Daredevil. I can understand why he didn't, why he wasn't a huge fan of it, but I, I as much as I'll rag on it in this uh, episode with you guys, I do think m almost everything in that episode was very important for the rest of the series to be as successful as it was in my eyes. Let's hit a high point or two. And you guys are our guests, so why don't you go first? What are your high points of this pilot? You know, I'm just going to go to the lowest common denominator, and I would say the high point for me was when uh, Lance tried to step up to... Uh, Frank and Frank had to mess him up with that sledgehammer because that's what I was waiting for the whole episode because it's the, um, you know, it's, it's the bully in the schoolyard who finally bit off more than he can chew, got his ass whooped, got exactly what was coming to him. And, uh, you, you know, you have to earlier in the episode, you have to suppress that little giggle when he says, Oh, you don't want me as an enemy. And I'm like, yeah, just, just get out of here, dude. That, to me, woke me up the first time I watched the show. I was like, oh, shit. It actually just got me, That just how seriously they took the idea of hitting people with a hammer. And like Jake says, it's a very cathartic, though for me, still makes me cringe just thinking about it. That's a it. brutal scene. I watched it yesterday, and I thought I knew what was coming, and it still got me. It still got me. But for me, there's another scene, and this might be a bit of an odd pick, but it was robbing the Nucci's. The, the Nucci's uh, poker game. I just love how that scene was put together. A, there's a little bit of fan service. The Nucci's were uh, a crime family created by Garth Ennis, a major Punisher writer. And that's what I liked about this show a lot, is that they do fit in the Punisher references to comics, but they don't... Um, they don't dwell they don't on become, them. Yeah. No, they don't dwell on them. They're not like the needy girlfriend that was the Punisher Warzone movie. Um, and that was a fun movie, but it was, uh, they, they forgot to actually make a movie at some point. 
I just like that. First off, if, before that poker scene, it really was just a bunch of people saying, well, here's my whole deal for the next two minutes. Let me explain to you why my parents got like uh, hit with a car. And let me tell you why I believe in law and order. And let me tell you why I'm a damaged person. It was only when during that like poker scene that you actually saw real human beings talking to one another. And then that one guy, Donnie drops his wallet and they go, Oh, like just them smiling. You don't, they don't, they barely have to say like what's wrong. It's like, Oh, it looks like you're in some real trouble there, Donnie Donald. And you just go, Oh God. Like just not only is it the mobs going to be after them, but these, you know, Donnie doesn't deserve what's coming to him one way or another. That man is fucked. And it's a very palpable scene. That, that's what I really liked about it. He, he's fucked. His friends are fucked. There is bad stuff's going to happen over a very mundane thing. That's a very good crime story. I would agree. I think there's a lot of good characterization um, with the mobsters and just like how they handle the situation. You know, they're all old hands. They all know what's going to happen. And you're right. That's it's a very funny moment, a very fortuitous moment where like the wallet flips open. But um. I, I agree with Jacobs. I think what I liked about his high point too was the slow burn. You know, it's a very earned, almost like a decadent like show of violence that you have waited and you've been patient and you know it's the Punisher, you know it's Frank. And yeah, they, they are fucked. So when they get to that point, they're utterly fucked. Jimbo, how about you? I had a bunch of high points. I thought the vet group was was a decent scene as well. It kind of adds... Some humanism, I guess, to uh, Frank's character besides just this sociopath that breaks down walls all day. And then you get to meet Curtis. Curtis is, you know, is up there as well. I feel like that scene kind of uh, adds adds more to the potential series. No, I mean, I'm with you. I think that one of my, I think my favorite Punisher stories and my favorite portrayals of the Punisher are the ones that relate to like his trauma and his human experience. I don't like the Punisher comics where he interacts with like the superheroes. It's kind of fun when he's in the periphery, like with Daredevil a little bit. I mean, I'm kind of with Jacob and Dane when they mentioned like the Garth Ennis run. I think one of the best parts of that is like Ennis really digs into like Frank's military background. And I think that's a strong point. I That's a good lead off with the Netflix series that that's where they're starting. I actually didn't like the, um, uh, the support group uh scene per se uh, i just felt like um i i don't know it, it seemed too forced it was almost like um you know hey we all know that uh vets have it tough when we get here and we should show that i i don't know i i mean i i know that there was some point to it but in the context of just the pilot i don't know it didn't really uh jive for uh for me I'm actually just grateful that they actually built up a cast of characters and relationships around Frank Castle that made sense. Uh, because, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, most Garth Ennis stories, there's like three people that are recurring characters. This actually has people like, hey, remember how Frank was in the Marines? Let's actually dissect that. What would that mean for a young man out of the Marines that's been broken by the system he was a part of? Oh, he'd probably still have some Marine friends. That's a big part of the Marines. Semper Fidelis, everybody. You know, once a Marine, always a Marine. Or you know, and I thought they actually took that seriously with Curtis and even the the old the old fart. Oh, um, his name was O'Connor. I thought he was kind of like he's like there talking about they're gonna take our guns, and then the other black dude's like, "Shut the fuck up, man!" And then Curtis steps in. And he's like, "Dude, let O'Connor speak. We, you know, we all get to speak." I believe his full name was uh, Alex Jones O'Connor. But I thought it was cool that like like giving him a voice though. 
I thought it was, you know, because like, it's, you know, especially today, like if someone doesn't agree with you, then like they're just a dumb, ignorant asshole. But in this, it's like, no, you know, you might think he's a dumb, ignorant asshole, but he still gets a voice. I actually did appreciate that because a, that guy exists on some level. And I was actually a bit of afraid of, uh, especially that. And I'm glad they had a version of Lewis. I'm glad they had different versions of soldiers because some people actually got through their service and they're fine. Other people um, are scarred forever. Some people need therapy for six months to two years and they can readjust in society. Everyone's a bit different. They actually show that in the first episode. I, I was a bit worried how they treat the mill. I knew they were going to take a much more, I don't know, Tom Clancy angle with this uh, first season. And I was really glad how they handled just the government. Sorry, Drew, you have one more high point. Let's let's make it make it brief and move into low points. It was. Yeah, my high point is very brief on this one. Um, I just thought that the opening scene, like I actually forgot there was a mega violent um, montage at the beginning. And I just thought like the sniper shot from El Paso to Juarez was technically awesome you know like it had like a really cool camera angle it had like the delayed it had like the shot and then the delay and then it had i don't want to say shot again because we're like talking about guns and film but when they pulled all the way back from the window to frank holding the rifle and then dropping out the shell that was awesome editing so that was just a really cool way to start the show that was my high point yeah that's a great scene i I didn't even realize until you said that that he was shooting them across country Oh, yeah, man. Awesome. Punisher kept it legal, or as legal as he gets it, you know. <laughs> it, it's it's hard to see, but if you look on the inside of the casing of that bullet, it actually did have a passport. So everything was by the book. It was stamped and everything. All right, so now we're going to move into our Alyssa low points. Seems gating. You're pretty shit. Fuck off. My low point would be the... Um, the constant brick smashing with the hammer. Maybe this is me injecting too much realism into it, which is my problem. But like, no one's going to swing a hammer for that long, you know, wearing them. Man, it's hard work to swing a, a sledgehammer around for that long. And his hands would be more cut up than they were. He'd just be out of energy. There's just, I don't know. I, I'm not buying it. There was that ketchup st- stain on the handle checkmate yeah i suppose I, it was just way too emo for me he's also been smashing brick walls down for probably six months now too so he, you know he is his fitness i mean is granted probably... i just don't think it's 14 hours of sledgehammering <laughs> uh fitness i don't know I, he's skipping his leg days it, it the bugs gym. me it's a slight stretch i mean the fact that like oh it's 3 a.m i can't i can't sleep i'm gonna get up and go smash walls and then the dirt bag is gonna just come to me you know and activate the Punisher. Boy, that, that sure was convenient, right? Because I actually forgot. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with you there, man. I just thought, wait a minute. Yeah, Donnie got caught by the mob. How does Frank get involved in this again? Oh, yeah, he had a bad dream. <laughs> and and then also he happened to be sitting and eating his shitty sandwich when he heard them talking about like planning it. I might be on Bernthal's side. This is a good pilot, but it's a flawed pilot. And so... Um, that kind of leads me to lot Milo point, which is just Donnie and his super shitty basic storyline. And oh, yeah, Donnie just ex- we call it exposition dumping on this show. Like what you said, like everyone just telling exactly who the fuck they are. Like I appreciate the fact that like Frank on the show kind of had to like phase Donnie out because when they're sitting up there, 
oh, I was like, is, thank yeah. God. I was getting tired of listening to that shit. And I was like, when you hear it too, you're like, <laughs> something bad's gonna happen to Donnie and fuck it. Oh, Andrew, I, I, as soon as he started phasing out at Don, first off, my God, that scene, I don't know who approved of it. Because to me, it just felt like someone was like, well, we got to build up a human connection, but we only have this guy for like three shooting days. So let's do this. Hi, Frank. Here's a sandwich my grandma made. Oh, you were a Marine? So was my dad. He was a Marine. And I'm an orphan, by the way. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I'm an orphan and my grandma buys medication needs medication that's why i'm working this job trying to get overtime by the way i don't make friends with like you i'm a loner too also my landlord is racist and trump is going to take take me out of this country just anything anything to make you feel bad for him hey guys can i go to lunch with you and they're like fuck off donnie yeah they're like did you have a bad high school experience so did donnie and it's the rest of his life nothing ever goes well with this guy like my last girlfriend told me i had a small penis and anyway that brings me up to today how's going how's things with you frank yeah and frank you want some of this basic ass sandwich like that did not look like a really impressive grandma sandwich either he was like here's half my safeway sandwich i wanted frank to go like oh so i guess your grandma hates you too right (laughs) (laughs) you know i gotta be honest so i rewatched the uh pilot uh today and I, I it did not have rewatchability for me. Agreed. Definitely suffered on the. It rewatch. suffered on the rewatch. I we talked yeah, about absolutely. that too. Dane, what was your low point? Did you mention it already? That whole Donnie sandwich scene. I was like, boy, I I sure do hate this. Uh, and the only thing that really saved it for me actually was like what uh Andrew said with Frank tuning out because I was like, wow, he's doing the same thing I am. That's that's some good fourth wall <laughs> shit. <laughs> You're also like, that's not a good sign for his and Donnie's friendship either. For the sake of variety, and I don't like this scene too much, is as much as I come to enjoy Agent Madani, wow, did she have a bad... There was so many strong, independent woman cliches in her opening scene, and it drove me up the fucking wall. Um, and they, they literally... And when I say, like, so many checklist cliches, I mean, literally, she says to her boss at one point, who I believe his last name was Wolf... Uh, it says, wow, that was sexist, racist, and bigoted all at the same time, or whatever. But and I, you demeaning know, of her abilities. And demeaning really of my <laughs> abilities all at the same time. But you know what? I had a partner out in Afghanistan, and the United States betrayed him, and we have a system. And, the sis- and if we don't obey the system, then we're no better than animals. And as you can see, I'm the lawful good person that's going to be contrasted with Frank's dangerous dark side a little bit later on. But I believe in the system. And uh, also, I have some, like... A uh, wimpy guy named uh, Sam Stein that's going to work with me. Uh, don't worry. He's going, much like Donnie, he's my sad puppy that's going to follow me around. I'll wrap up the low points. I, I'll say, like, but Donnie's exposition dumping with her mother was also bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The soliloquies that Curtis is, like, just spitting off while he's putting up the chairs and stuff were also some some low points. But let's uh, let's move on. Wait, wait, before we move on, can, can I yeah, make like a, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, can I make just like a weird tangent comment? Like, it, it's weird that I'm recording and doing this like with video because I'm sorry, Jimbo. It's really weird seeing the juxtaposition <laughs> of you quoting Shakespeare and doing all this stuff, but you look like Razor Ramon's illegitimate child. Oh, mid '90s WWF reference, yeah. Razor Ramon, huh? 
and, and I mean that with like all the really? respect. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's that's just like jarring. the ugliest guy in in WWE. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's awesome. I, it's just weird, man. It's great, though. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a dick. Are you ready to drop off your laundry ticket, motherfucker? Okay. <laughs> that joke makes more sense on video. But Yeah, Hoisters, I am sitting in a closet because I have a pregnant fiance that, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i too scared to even dare wake her up, so I'm hiding. Ooh. I, trust me, we've all been there in podcasting. <laughs> wait, okay, wait, so wait when, when have move... you knocked up a woman, Dane? No, I mean, one time I had to be outside <laughs> wearing a fucking... First off, yes, you know for a fact. <laughs> he had sex with a girl. <laughs> after stealing her on a date at a motel six no su- no wait sorry super eight super eight motherfucker because i treat a girl right <laughs> i can't get All into right, that we're I gonna will- end it on that one we're gonna end it on that one so now for our Crabman award and this is where we give a nomination to a character with a small role that is giving way more than they are taking and so Dane, Jacob, do you, do you guys have a nomination for a crab person in this pilot episode? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, Alex Jones O'Connor. That's a strong one. I think it's tempting to go with Lewis, but I don't think Lewis would be who he is without O'Connor. I'm going to go with Curtis because he really does become the real MVP a little bit later on in the show. He gets he basically becomes the... Um, What's the name? The the blonde woman from uh, Daredevil who is absurdly brave. Page? Karen Page? Curtis is truly the Karen Page of this show. Because anytime Frank even barely asks him for a favor, he's like, yes, I will put myself in the way of gunfire for you, Frank. And yes, I do ha- only have one functioning leg. Let's do this shit. He is terrific and... And the thing is, unlike Karen Page, I actually kind of believe it because the guy was a Marine and and I don't feel like he has a death wish. He feels like he could actually survive because of his experience and because he has a a brotherhood with both Frank Castle and one of the main antagonists, uh, Billy Russo. Yeah, screw Don Cheadle. Get this guy an Iron Man suit. Drew, so I was thinking Lewis or... O'Connor and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go with O'Connor as well because I think his ridiculousness kind of adds a nice little touch to uh, the show what what are you thinking well I'm gonna switch my vote as well but I do want to mention to the fellas something that you and I talked about off mic and it was Jimbo and I talked about tweaking the pilot so that what if instead of you know Donnie getting into some shit we don't give a fuck about Donnie what if Lewis got into some shit you know, and then Frank is helping out, you know, his fellow Marine and his brother and whatnot instead of like some rando that he met at the work site. So that was my Lewis comment. I'm going to withdraw Lewis as my crab man. I think I'm coming over to O'Connor. You know, uh, he definitely does just a tiny little bit, but you're right. You know, he like he says how he feels and Curtis like opens things up for him. And yeah, like I'm a fan of O'Connor's rant and his his carefully placed NRA hat, too. So attention to detail, Punisher. Thank you. Nice. So great suggestion there, Jacob. And we are going to announce it. Dane, you willing to, to, to slide over on, on the O'Connor bandwagon? Or are you going to stick with Curtis? I mean, oh. no pressure, but pressure. O'Connor is such a <laughs> stupid banner of a person. He's more of like 
uh, a literal card cardboard cutout of of but basically the tough guy internet poster you know just in real life of america (laughs) yeah just no he is the angry (laughs) facebook friend that you you can't bring yourself to uh to unfriend or mute and that's that so man he is a relatable dude on that level i gotta say like i i he's much more memorable to me than lewis Mm -hmm. i i like curtis so much though i guess i'll go with o'connor just because he starts a lot of shit and he's a bit of a coward at the same a liar and a coward so there's a lot to dig into there. I guess I'll go. I'll join you on this. Yeah. All right. So yeah. we have by unanimous decision, our Crabman Award is going to O'Connor. <laughs> Listeners, we are moving into our most valuable part of the pilot. And for those of you new to the show, I mean that's it. This is the the one part that we thought that we thought was the best. And Jacob, you've been mostly quiet. So so why don't you start us off? I'll go with the uh, introduction of Microchip at the uh, very end. I think that uh, that's a character that's been missing from the uh, Punisher mythos largely on on the uh, on-screen adaptations. I know you had Newman as him in Punisher Warzone, but this was a fresh take on the character that was much more like the comic. And then the the way they set up the cat and mouse game, I mean, I think that was... A, a lot of the highlight uh, of this episode. Yeah, and he also says the uh, you know the iconic "Welcome back, Frank." Yep, that oh, is literally my MVP that I wrote in. And when you mentioned that earlier, you were like, "There's subtle nods." That was my favorite subtle nod because we mentioned that there are some inconsistencies in this pilot. But I remember watching it the first time, and maybe it was late at night. Maybe I was tired. Maybe I just wasn't super enthusiastic. But as soon as he says "Welcome back, Frank." And that little Netflix thing shows up, and it's like next episode starts. I'm like, click, like I'm fucking in, like I'm down. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I think I must have started that second episode originally the first time I, that I watched the pilot. I, I like the welcome back Frank line as well, but that nod is as subtle as someone telling Luke Skywalker, "You gotta go fight in the Star Wars, Luke. Oh. Do you get it? Because that's the name of the movie. <laughs> that's the name of the thing. Do you get it?" Welcome back, Frank. Uh, I suppose, but only the hardcore comic people would I guess. know that. I mean, so for for example, my because uh, I told you about this on the show, Dane. I had got one of my coworkers to watch the uh, Punisher, and she mostly just watched it because she thought Burnthal was hot, but uh, she wouldn't have gotten that reference. So, I mean, it's on the nose for the fans, but I don't think it's in general. Oh, I don't, I don't mind it. I just don't yeah. think it is subtle. I think well, it, no, I, I agree so. with Jacob though. I think it depends on what kind of fan you are because if you are the right kind of fan, it's 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 signaling, you know, and it's the creator saying, "We know what most people's favorite Punisher story is, and we know what kind of tone we want to set." So without saying, "Hey, get ready for some Garth Ennis style violence and style," like, "Welcome back, Frank." I <laughs> I liked where they put it. I like how they put it, and I liked that that was kind of the only nod to a somewhat traditional punisher in a long pilot dane what, what was your mvp i'll just say john bernthal he had a lot to do with this plus this was a netflix show that didn't even pretend to be part of the greater universe so it couldn't rely on that level of fan wank it actually had to be good it had to be good and it couldn't have been good without john bernthal trying to a oh sorry be his own thing and B, 
like pay attention to what fans want in the Punisher and try and understand this character because boy, there have been actors in the past that have just seen this as a generic action man character and that's okay. Some of them have actually done pretty good jobs. Like, uh, are you guys familiar with the 1980s Punisher movie? Dolph Lundgren. Lundgren? Yes. Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Like I haven't that, watched it since I was a kid though, but yeah, th- to me, that's not really the, the Punisher on any real level. Uh, even though what's is funny is talking about subtle nods. He is praying naked to God. Frank actually was a pr- was in seminary. He's Catholic and was trying to train up to be a priest, but he couldn't pass. He, he couldn't get his priestly robes because he had trouble with the idea of total forgiveness for people. So he got kicked out or left, and then he joined the Marines. So, but besides that little subtle nod, that's a terrible Punisher movie. I mean, it's a good action movie, but not really great Punisher. While Bernthal has some weird ticks to the character, to me, he's like the complete Punisher, both with his family man, military man, and, vi- and vigilante adventurer. So he's MVP for me. I, I can agree with that. In fact, my MVP is closely related. I think it's more with Frank's attempt at like living a life post, you know, revenge. Just struggling through like not bashing Lance's brains in and him trying to read like Moby Dick because he's been reading it for maybe six months now and he just barely finishes it and he wakes up and just swings a sledgehammer 14 to 20 hours a day because he literally is like can't figure out anything to live for and he's just holding on for whatever and if that was done with any other actor that would have seemed like Oh, wow, he's reading Moby Dick. Do you get it? Do you get the symbolism? But for me, like John Bernthal did all his scenes so well with so earnest that I didn't I didn't mind them, even though with Jake talking about the uh, tearing down the wall being kind of like tiresome at some point. uh, I didn't mind it with John Bernthal because he puts a 100 percent into every scene in the first episode. I agree. All right, Hoisters, so now the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for, watch or rewatch. And so we're going to decide whether we are going to continue watching or if we are going to rewatch the Punisher series. So I'll uh, start us off. I'll probably rewatch season one of the Punisher before season two of the Punisher comes out. So I think I will rewatch the first season again prior to the release of the second season. Jacob? No, probably not at this time. I, I don't know. I There's other things to watch. And then I feel like I got to get away from something because if I watch it too, uh, too close together, it loses something like perfect example. My wife really loved Infinity Wars and she drugged me to go see it this past weekend. So like I saw it twice within it's two weeks movie. and I'm just kind of like, it, it's uh, yeah. And it just suffers when you're forcing yourself to watch it. So, um, you know, while I thought it was good and, you know, and I've watched the whole season, I don't have any plans to uh, rewatch. So take that for cool. whatever Not it's rewatching, worth. yep. I had a similar movie story, but it was with Too Fast, Too Furious. I saw that over a two-day period twice. That's that's not a joke. It sounds like it, but it's not. And I got to tell you, the second time, it's not better. It's not a better movie. <laughs> so, Jake, <laughs> or sorry, uh, Dane, are yeah. you going to watch, or sorry, are you going to rewatch The Punisher? You know, watching this first episode, uh, it actually made me want to 
rewatch it and try and pay a little bit more attention to the conspiracy of the and see how well I would almost watch it almost on a this is going to sound a little douchey, but almost on a meta level to see if the whole thing actually makes sense. Because, boy, they really bend over backwards to make uh, Frank Castle a part of a major conspiracy. But he also didn't really do anything, man. But he also feels a bit guilty about the whole thing. And also, he needs to die because of it. And Yeah, that's a good point. To me, they handled it and wrapped it up perfectly in Daredevil. But you could see they had to bring in extra characters Mm -hmm. to try and stretch this out. Um, and just like with any Jason Bourne movie, there's always like, well, there's a loose end and we got to do this. Even if we kill dozens of agents and dozens of soldiers trying to wrap up this man that clearly just wants to be left alone, we are going to have to wrap this shit up. Because this is what I'm saying, that in spite of some corny moments that both Andrew and Jimbo have brought up here, the acting and human connections are actually shockingly good, like better than they have a right to be in this kind and the action scenes. Like if I know this seems a bit ridiculous to say, but if it wasn't for the connections and the, the killing in this show, it wouldn't work. All right, Drew, what's it going to be? I I stalled out on this uh, originally around episode five. It wasn't the Punisher story I wanted it to be. And again, like, you know, we make choices. And so if I didn't finish it, it's because I didn't want to, it's because I wanted to watch something else more. Um, I do feel like these Marvel Netflix shows are like five or six episodes too long. So I might come back and watch like episodes 10, 11, 12 before the next season comes out. But I don't think I'm going to rewatch the season. And I, I don't even think I'm going to like pick up where I left off around episode five. I might just watch the last couple episodes. I think episode 10 is a fun cool. one. I can start there. All right, listeners. And now the moment we've all been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist. That is the question. So for those of you that are new to the show, this is where we decide pretty much if the show sucked or not. So not hoist means that it's good. Hoist means that it sucks. Hoist it on its own petard. So I I, I think the pilot is strong enough to not be hoisted. Dane? Yeah, the thing is, people look at me and Jake like, of course you guys like it. It's the Punisher. I go, no, there's plenty of Punisher stuff we fucking hate real bad. But to me, I I would uh, gladly not hoist this show. It needed to be good on a lot of different levels that didn't matter for a few other shows on Netflix. To me, it's really the best Marvel TV show I've seen besides maybe Legion. I agree. I love Legion, guys, by the way. Like, that's probably... I I haven't seen that one. Maybe I'll... I hear great things. No, no, Jake. Like, have you watched Legion? No, and I'm going to continue not oh, watching it. Oh, dude, it would be so good. And I'd want to watch it with you just to see your mind get cracked open. <laughs> anyway, I, I got to go not not hoist. And then, Drew, can can uh, we wrap it up? Do we have a consensus here? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to hoist. This is it's a good It's a good story. You know, I watched the whole thing, and as I said, I wanted to watch the next one. So it's a good pilot. Unanimous. So you heard it. Not hoisted by unanimous decision. The Punisher, 3 a.m. And now we're going to move into our Stormy Daniels Dangling Threads. And this, for the new listeners, is any ideas or topics that we kind of want to talk about that didn't fit into the other sections. Oh, oh my God. I, I'm sorry to derail this, but did you guys know <laughs> that Stormy Daniels is doing new porn ads where she goes, you may have seen me in the news recently. Come to camster.com and maybe I'll share some news with you. 
Nice. And she does this show in her titties, obviously. Maybe, maybe we should uh, get get her to announce it for us then. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> she, I, I hear she's hard up for money. There, there's so much yeah. free porn out there. I can't <laughs> believe people pay for porn. I'm just like, it's free. It's on the internet. Like, you don't have to pay. I mean, I think they're mostly stolen credit cards. That's what. That's where all our stolen, you know, yeah, um, identities go to porno sites. Okay, so dangling yes. threads here. Yeah, so right. I'm going to skip my Moby Dick one since Dane was kind of already uh, bashing that one. There you go. And we no, can, I mean, uh... it was a very nice, subtle <laughs> reference. Let me ask you guys a question because I have a couple, like, I need some Punisher expert-specific questions. Okay. Um. So my first Punisher expert question is, get in there, man. Um. So let me ask you guys this. Vietnam Punisher versus, like, post-9-11 War on Terror Punisher – yeah. What are your thoughts? How does this kind of complicate the character versus like other comic book characters? And what do you prefer? Oh, Jake actually has some good views on this. Oh my God, we'll be here the rest of the evening. First of all, I almost exclusively subscribe to the Vietnam paradigm. I think that there's something uh, holistically unique to that conflict that makes the Punisher Punisher. And I think Garth Ennis has done a great uh, treatise on that. Um, see also Punisher born Valley forge, Valley forge and Punisher, the platoon. Um, that said, I think that the Burnthal series has kind of turned me around a little bit because what are some of the things out of Vietnam that made the Punisher Punisher? It is, um, you know, war being raged against uh, rich people or by rich people against poor people, you know, solely for the benefit of the military industrial complex. I think the only main difference is generally speaking, the veterans were te- treated like shit coming home from Vietnam and they're generally worshiped as heroes coming home now in the whole, uh, hyper patriotism environment that, uh, you know, we find ourselves in. It it does kind of match up with today because, um, the because soldiers come home and goes like, "Hey, um, you know, I piss my pants whenever I hear a lawnmower because it reminds me of my friend getting torn apart by an IED." It, can you do something for me? Well, here you go, buddy. Here's a fifteen percent off coupon at Denny's, and you can use that any time. Thank you for your service. You guys are the real heroes. Like that's we're they're still kind of ignored in society today. Yeah, uh, the, I, the show kind of so covers too. that. But they're but they're not but they're not being they're not walking off the plane you know and being spat on and called baby killers. Though. No, that's true. Yeah, that is true. And here's the thing: like your career, whether it's in public, the public realm, or otherwise, like if you shit talk veterans, like you're done. You're a social pariah. So I was a veteran. I um, I was in the Marine Corps, and and I did go to um, Iraq for one di- for one duty. Oh, cool. And and I and I definitely felt very sim- similar to Lewis, like. Like, like when I came back, I definitely felt like people just didn't give a shit. And like, granted, it wasn't like Vietnam, like not get, give a shit. Like people didn't like there weren't like huge protesters just waiting outside the ship. But like going to bars, I definitely felt like people kind of like hated on us and, and thought negatively about us. So I I can completely relate with like Lewis's thing, like not fitting in and like not coming back and feeling appreciated. Well, I think that the one thing that Lewis is right about, and 
and I don't mean to go too political, but as I talk about the hyper patriotism and everything, I mean, you still have scandals like the VA, the uh, lines, uh, the wait times for veterans to get care is uh, unacceptable. And, um, you know, you get the defense budget being raised by $80 billion, but that's for Lockheed Martin. That's not for the VA. And one of the reasons why I like the Vietnam paradigm is in Punisher Born and in Valley Forge, Valley Forge, Ennis tackles that head on and talks about how, you know, the Gulf of Tonkin was bullshit and it was just a big thing to, uh, you know, boost the stocks of uh, Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and all that. And I mean, that's where you get a lot of the, the, the similarities, which is why the Bernthal um, portrayal is kind of helping me uh, turn it around and, and accepting the uh, post nine 11 uh, war. And, and then just as like a, a side peeve, I, it also just makes me upset when we can come up with any bullshit excuse in the world to keep Nick Fury and uh, Steve Rogers uh, ageless. But uh, you know, we'll just ignore all the magical shit that Frank has had happen to him. Nope. We got to reboot his character. Like it doesn't make sense in the uh, context of the Marvel universe. Wait, Andrew, were you the one that asked about the 9-11 versus Vietnam Punisher paradigm? Yeah, yeah, just um, personal preference, and then what are your thoughts? Well, for me, I feel like Marvel is, um, has, I don't know what's the best way to describe it. They They clearly understand that Frank can't make sense as a Vietnam veteran anymore, but it has taken them years to straight up admit that because they're i think they're a little bit terrified of what would happen or at least in the past they were straight up terrified of what the fan response would be if he stopped having a connection to a place in war that really did have an effect on tons of his stories there's tons of stories where he deals with previous uh friends from vietnam or there was some asshole in vietnam that uh he has to square off against or there's some uh some sergeant instructor that uh, like return to the big nothing is a major story uh who trained him to uh survive in vietnam that frank eventually has to kill there there's tons of that stuff the problem is that okay you moved him into what i call like iraqistan because they don't they have not put any kind of investment into this new type of origin or new type of backstory, I should say, because his parent, his family still got killed in Central Park. But what did he do in Iraq or Afghanistan? What did um? what was he in charge of? What horrible things did he see? And the thing is that Vietnam, even when Frank got really big in the 80s and 90s, it was difficult enough. I mean, it was it was distanced enough. That you could actually be critical of Vietnam and you could have a little bit more leeway with stories. I think these wars are still too close to us, both past and present, to really have Marvel try and say something with them. Like even with the Becky Cloonan run, the only real assholes there, to my knowledge, were private, privately contracted soldiers. And I think that one or two Marines betrayed them, but they betrayed them for more money for the privately contracted soldier company. But wait, wait, can I get a follow-up question in here? Like, why do you think it's okay to have Steve Rogers still be World War II, but it's not okay for Frank to be uh, Vietnam? Because 
Because fucking super steroids made by like crazy scientist magic got him that, and he also had the ability to be fr- fucking yeah, frozen. Yeah, but Frank had so, the bloodstone, and he. De-aged. I was just gonna say, yeah, the Franken Frankencastle bullshit bloodstone. <laughs> People don't want. But no, that. but that's People... but that's not on. That's not what I'm asking. To be honest, I mean it. it but uh, no, I think what I'm asking is what is it, what is it that's ex- acceptable about the cultural narrative of World War II that's not acceptable about Vietnam? I mean, is it what? It's not. It's not about what's acceptably cultural. It's literally Frank. My grandpa is seventy like eight years old, and he was a young man in Vietnam. Like Frank Castle can't be that old. Well, he can when you introduce voodoo and magic into it. Well, I think those two narratives and those two conflicts help to define the characters themselves. Like, you know, like Captain America, like has that very much like kind of old school chromatic view of the world, like right and wrong. Whereas like the ambiguity of the Vietnam War helps to inform us about the Punisher and the way he does things. You know, he's kind of an anti-hero with a different way because he's coming from that morally ambiguous time. Whereas Cap is kind of coming from that more wholesome time, even though. You know, we now know that things weren't all perfect either. Yeah, I think Andrew is definitely picking up on more of what I'm saying. I mean, I I think, you know, for better or for worse, you know, World War II is seen culturally as black and white. The West were the good guys and we didn't do anything wrong and the Nazis were evil and blah, blah, blah. Whereas in Vietnam, I mean, I think the cultural zeitgeist is, uh, no, we done fucked up and uh, let's uh, just forget about it. And that's why we have to get rid of Frank Castle's Vietnam origin. Um, I don't know if I would agree with that reasoning. I th- I kind of think it's more with what Dane's saying. Just he he's just too old. I mean, I guess, but when we're in a universe where people are running around with Infinity Stones, resurrecting people, is that? I mean, is that the Punisher you want? Do you want him to get a little affinity, like like Infinity Stone ring on his finger? No, I <laughs> I would totally I would totally rather have. Someone collect all seven Dragon Balls and wish for <laughs> yes. him to be eternally twenty-one, than than to reboot him as uh, Afghanistan or Iraqistan Punisher. I would much rather read that story. See, I I just uh, Jake and I have been arguing about this for years, and I personally like I have always been okay with them moving his timeline forward. Even Tony Stark, he literally like some jihadis blew yeah. up some shit in his chest. Uh, I think under the Ellis run, and so he he's out of Vietnam. I mean, there's just now here's the thing that that I wondered. I wonder if they updated Forge the uh, mutant because he was a Vietnam veteran. He got his leg blown off. I almost guarantee you that there's some X-Men annual that fix that shit up. X-Men time travel more than Doctor Who. It's just, (laughs) it's going to happen. I I think the difference is the uh, war in in Iraq and Afghanistan and maybe whatever one we end up getting into next, it's just not the same as the war in Vietnam. I mean, like Vietnam is extremely brutal. You're in the jungle. You have, it's, I mean, it's, it's practically hand to hand with, with like automatic weapons something like that like makes a way more like rambo crazy character than the wars today i would say that it was america's first foray into modern counterinsurgency warfare as well do you mean wait wait do you mean vietnam or do you mean being in iraq and afghanistan no no i mean vietnam like america fought counterinsurgency like wars like you know with the subjugation of the indians and stuff like that but i mean in a traditional we're here to try to run things and then the enemy is trying to infiltrate 
and you know use terrorism as a means to make the occupiers go away like that was the first modern conflict in which uh america and when i say modern i think i mean more of like the uh post advent of the machine gun and i don't know i might be getting way too into the military history here so uh that's that's where the conversation went dane you do you, you have something to add no, I mean, I do agree with Jake over like how important Vietnam is. My whole thing is that I'm okay and I understand the reason why. Because once again, even if you keep Frank eternally young, part of his story is that he still has connections with those guys he served with. Are all those guys in Vietnam also going to get the infinity formula for being young or whatever? Like there's so many additional smaller plot sto- plot threads that don't make sense unless frank stays somewhat mundane as he stays somewhat normal you know i'll i'll end it on this when we talked to when we interviewed greg rucka for our show um he talked about how marvel had this idea for the war and there was no specifics on the war and it was something that was meant to be that's a good idea you know floating timeline where you could just say frank was a veteran of the war tony stark got the shrapnel in his chest in the war you know, and it was just always something you could move around in the Marvel timeline as needed. Uh, again, I would much rather do that. And I feel like I feel like I could write a master's thesis on why he should have stayed Vietnam. But, you know, Dane and I will continue to disagree with that uh, on that. So Marvel's pursuit to make large amounts of money, like you have to have a new story. You can't. I mean, so I, I think it's inevitable that he's going to... I mean, uh, again, my rebuttal to that <laughs> would be Captain America still makes money. Well, I think Captain America kind of sucks, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> and, he, and he runs on a different storytelling engine as well. Okay, yeah, let's let's move on. What's What else do we got here, Drew? Uh, I mean, we could talk about how do you guys feel about like kind of the police and the military using the Punisher skull or popular culture kind of where the Punisher skull kind of creeps in. What do you think about that? Oh man. I think it's an, I think it's a dis- PR disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. For uh, yeah. Both, wait, they for do that both or, or, or just for one of them. Uh, probably more of the police, yeah, but for sure, man. pretty much for both. I mean, just totally hypothetical be, because this is in the past and we know it didn't happen. What if it would have came out that the people at Abu grave had the, uh, punisher skull as their insignia for their uh squad patch like do you know how much of a pr nightmare that would have been for marvel it's not even point. for marvel for that police department or for whoever is is holding on to it as well mm-hmm. i mean just put it i uh, put the shoe on the other foot what oh, if oh yeah okay i don't know say say some uh cop wears the superman logo guns down an unarmed citizen i mean uh, sure that that police department is going to get a lot of uh heat but um they're going to be like, whoa, what kind of culture is DC uh, promoting over there with Superman? Just like how every Halloween I dress up as Spider-Man and I steal a ton of candy from kids six and under it like it just hurts the Spider-Man brand. But, you know, I need my Snickers, so I'm going to keep fucking doing okay, it. OK, OK, let, let me give a, a real life example. Do you remember how negatively uh, trench coats were viewed by society after the True. Columbine massacre? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're. There would be some blowback. I mean, I think, I don't know. Jim, I, mean, I think the biggest problem with the police department wearing Punisher stuff is Punisher is a vigilante that's above the law, and he's known for brutally killing people. At least in the military, you're 
like part of your job is killing people, at least in most people's eyes. So the for for the military to be cool with someone that kills people, I think is a different level than like for a cop or a sheriff or someone that's a security guard that's job is not to kill people. That's yeah, a good I distinction. I definitely agree with Jimbo, especially if you're special forces or if you're some expeditionary force where you are clearly there to fuck up someone's day. I mean, the military has multiple functions and has many peaceful purposes and peacekeeping purposes as well. But if like, let's say the, a police officer is just there to serve someone or a sheriff's office is there to serve someone their papers to show up in court or whatever. What what would that look like if that guy on his front porch just sees a cop car with a giant <laughs> skull decal on the fucking hood? You know, and that dude's just having his smoke on his front porch and someone where ha- has the fucking skull and crossbones coming at it. It looks like a cop, but you've never seen a cop with a symbol deliberately created that says we're here to do you harm. We're, we're here like uh, we, we are here to take over your vessel in, in pirate times. Fuck. Um, yeah, man, that's, that, that, that's, that's a, what bothers that, that's me. That's a bad sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I just don't think it's a stretch with knowing the or at least the way i perceive the uh media is that like i said let's just say you know a, a police officer with the uh punisher skull on his car you know uh is in an incident maybe he kills someone maybe he just sends him to the hospital or whatever right the media is going to get a hold of that and they're going to start asking oh well why does this person have this skull logo and they're going to dig deeper and they're just going to make uh a uh you know, media hysteria over the Punisher and the kind of things that he does in the comic. And then they're going to try to put that on the, the all of police, which would be unfair. It'll be again, like the way they treated uh, video games in the nineties. I would say that any blowback that comes on the Punisher or, you know, police as an entire group would be unfair, but I think it would be fair to look at like this police officer who does, as Jimbo said, like the job of like the job of a soldier and the Punisher is different, but the job of a soldier and a police officer is definitely different. So, I mean, I think there would be some, I'd be fine with some scrutiny about what kind of person who's a police officer thinks it's fine or it's cool to, you know, make this part of their uniform. Cause like Jimbo's right. It's definitely not part of their job. What do you think? Yeah. There, there's yeah, just, I agree with that. There, there is just no need there. If you are a public servant on some level, you, uh, there, there's no reason for you to be wearing the symbol of a vigilante of a, of a dangerous vigilante. There, there is no good that can come of that. It is only a black hole that uh, the closer you get to the worse it is. I mean, people have already forgotten this, but there was a guy, some spastic that tried to dress up as the Punisher and sneak into a convention to kill the green Ranger, like Jason David Frank, I think. And he got stopped by security and they found his guns and shit. And he was just a complete neckbeard. But I just thought, my God, the the headlines write themselves. Punisher cosplayer kills childhood hero and born again Christian uh, Jason David Frank. Like that, God, I don't know how Jake and I could have an episode covering something like that. Uh, and plus I do Punisher news and whenever I see anything about the Punisher skull in the military, it's almost something never good. It's almost something or, or the Punisher skull being used in public life. It's almost never anything good. Did you know they're putting Punisher skulls onto ecstasy pills? And by the way, those ecstasy pills are laced with some bad shit and it's killing people down in Florida. 
like it, it's it's one of the worst PR things you can do for your for your image, whatever your job is. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, Marvel probably brought it on themselves. I mean, as we were talking about in our last episode, it a skull is so is so generic. I don't think they can copyright it like they can the Bat logo or the Superman logo. You guys interested in philosophy at all? Uh, I've been dabbling a uh, little bit. I, I've recently discovered existential nihilism. Oh yeah, that's. And I've a been good one. trying to uh, learn as much as I can about it because I think, sadly, I'm an existential nihilist. I've been learning it it too, but mostly to get pussy from goths. <laughs> At the Motel Eight, Albert Camus, a uh, famous existentialist. He he's uh, quoted as saying, the literal meaning of life is whatever you're doing that prevents you from killing yourself. And so like for like the Punisher, like I just couldn't help but think about that. So for him, for about six months of his life, the literal meaning of his life was breaking down walls because it seems like that was the only thing that prevented him from killing himself. Like, like, why is he still alive until Donnie calls him back to action? I don't know. That's a great point. I, I didn't even think of it like that. Well, there's there's kind of a Zen Buddhism to that as well. Like a big part of people tr- monks in monasteries is chopping wood to learn the meaning of life. And 20 years later, someone asks the the monk, what's the meaning of life? And it's uh, chopping wood right now. It's chopping wood uh, like it's finding meaning in the moment of your actions. That's that's the main thing. And, and not finding deeper meaning, finding like this is to live in that moment for uh, maybe living in that moment keeps you out of the pain of other things in your environment. Smashing that wall was an important thing for Frank to do. So he doesn't smash his own head in with that hammer. Well, I think what Camus is saying too, is it's kind of dashing a lot of our pretenses or kind of the fancy things we put around ourselves. You know, like we may think, Oh, the meaning of life is like this job or this career or this higher ideal but in fact, and what Frank shows us is the meaning of life is often like, what is your next meal or what is the next thing that you actually look forward to, which, you know, we may not want to say about ourselves, but can be completely, completely true, like on your best or your worst day. And Frank had like a lot of worst days in a row, it seems. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of looking at it as well. Almost like uh, like throwing out a lot of garbage in your in your house and trying to appreciate what you really have in life. Not saying Frank is a half glass half full kind of character in this show. He clearly ain't. But no, I, I feel like that's that has some real validity. I'll just stick to my go to thing is that, uh, you know, Frank uh, totally resonates with uh, Rorschach when uh, when Rorschach says it's not uh, God that makes the world that's way it's us. Yeah, Rorschach and, and uh, the Punisher are, are both about the, you know, they're in the same boat. I think I think the Punisher has a lot more levels than Rorschach because I think Rorschach represents a very specific, um, like non-pragmatic ideal. You know, like almost like the pinnacle of like ide- ideology in a comic book. Whereas I think that I think Frank, especially even in this show, strives for something more than Rorschach does. So I would say that he's a deeper, more complex character. What's he striving for? Yeah. What's well? Let, let me put it this way, Andrew. Uh, children. Uh, enjoy Rorschach. <laughs> Men who need Cialis enjoy Night Owl. Oh. Who's in between? I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> well, for me, a galaxy-brained man, clearly it's Ozymandias for me. Yeah, of course. 
enjoy yourself there. I mean, maybe maybe we're all some Dr. Manhattans in between. Maybe if you're searching for something deeper, maybe that makes you a Dr. Manhattan. And he finds nothing. But what were we talking about now? Wait, we were talking about Rorschach, nihilism, talking philosophy. About Camus. The, me- the meaning of life. Yeah, the, absur- the absurd. Is that an indicator of how messed up Frank is? Well, no, like what Jake said earlier about Rorschach, that, that actually matters a lot in Frank Castle's life. Because even though, like, the thing is with, with nihilism is I'm by no means a, um, a, a pro at philosophy. But I do understand that even within nihilism, you can still find meaning and you can still find enjoyment in life. There's just no intrinsic meaning. Meaning is what you derive from it, right? I think I think that's the I think there's a philosophical distinction. Yeah, I know yeah. that crosses over that's more existentialism. existentialism. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say that was more of uh, Sartre, right? Sartre, yeah. Sartre. But, yeah. Philosoph- yeah. Here's the thing: this I know I'll get some terms crossed over a little bit here, but my whole point with with the Frank Castle character is that he clearly sees the world as something that is chaotic and something that doesn't make sense unless you force it to make sense and that your code isn't something that is real or exists outside yourself, but you, you do it because you feel it is right. And you feel that it has a logically sound philosophy to go with. Like that's a major thing in Garth Innes's work because he constantly has characters asking Frank, why do you do this? Even daredevil at one point said something like, okay, he's been, he's been killing for decades. He's clearly not doing it for his family anymore. He needs to be stopped. And another friend eventually asks him like, why are you doing this? And the, the simple answer is because they, so they cannot walk away in Frank's mind. He cannot live in a world where if he could stop something in or stop someone for, constantly creating great harm upon the world and he didn't do it then he couldn't live with himself now you could argue that's mixed in with maybe some kind of serial killer level or some uh emotional level to his family but to him he finds meaning in stopping that kind of in his mind evil well then to me that sounds like you're making him sound like a kantian ethicist Wait, like golden rule stuff? No, more like intention is all. So, I mean, he was an intentionalist in terms of looking at intention as a societal good. Because then, if that's true, then, like, you are saying, like, I would take Frank out of, like, the nihilist existentialist because you're saying he adheres to a higher power. It's just not religious. Well, here's the thing. Um, I don't think he's doing it for the good of society. I think yeah, in, it's just, like, this is the rule book I live under. You broke the rules and now you will suffer the consequences because I have the ability to do it. I mean, if anything, there's some objectivism there. Like, it's not whether someone's going to let me. It's who's going to stop me. Who is going to stop me from imposing this will on these evil people? Who And uh, you feel more than free to step up. But if you don't, I'm going to end you and anyone connected with you that is creating what I feel to be this objective evil in this world. To me, like it, it's very close to Rorschach or even the Steranko character, Mr. A. Jacob's high, high point in the Punisher series, I think, highlights that, that whole aspect perfectly. Frank doesn't just stop those guys from killing Donnie. He smashes their heads in with, with a sledgehammer. Like, that's not justice. Like, he's, 
he's doing that because that's what he wants to do. Like he wants to smash people's heads in. He doesn't want to smash walls in. And so like he's able to justify that by by putting a label of of justice on it. And that was one of the things that wasn't touched upon as much in the Punisher Netflix show as it is in a lot of the comics, which is, you're right, he's far beyond doing it for his family. Now he's just doing it because that's what he wants to do. Yeah. And even, I mean, to go way outside the pilot, I, I think the scene when he's being tortured, even just like, I think he even gets off on that a bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, he's definitely... uh almost, I don't know, Catholic guilt over the whole thing. They made him to be, the, the series took a lot of pains to make Frank into a sympathetic character, probably because they were terrified of putting this violent vigilante out in America in the in the year 2017. But Andrew, I did I dodge your question or did Jake and I answer that question? Because I, I think the issue with Andrew's question is he got like very academic <laughs> yeah. and Ivy Tower straight way too far away from the dick. And, and meanwhile, I try you know, and like so. impress him with philosophy 101. <laughs> oh, you mean uh, the golden rule, old bean? Huh? No, that's not at all. That yeah. is not at all what I am talking yeah. about. You goddamn idiot. Like, <laughs> I, I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. Everything I know about philosophy, I've heard on uh, Wisecracks. Yeah, nice. I don't know what Wisecracks is, but... Oh, they do the, they do, it's a YouTube channel and they do things like, um, was it thug notes? And then, uh, they do like, they'll, they'll break down the philosophy of Rick and Morty. Those, Ooh, are, those are good. No, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching yeah. an elective class this year. Um, and part of it is philosophy, but I'm teaching it to 11 to 13 year olds. So if, if our philosophy discussion got longer than like eight minutes, I would start to falter as well. <laughs> no, I like it though, because one of the things that uh, Dane and I tried to do from the outset was we didn't want to just be the uh, comic book cat podcast. We're like, okay, what did you read this week? I read Justice League. I give it four out of five stars. Like, you know, we were trying to get away from that. So, N not, not my Green Lantern. Excuse <laughs> me, <my> guess. Because, <laughs> man, Jake and I have been on those shows. They, they are a bear to do. They're rough. It's actually, I like be interesting or have something interesting to say. Like Andrew, like even though like some of the stuff you're saying is going over my head, I'm fascinated to hear your perspective. You, you're telling me shit. I can't get at my local gas station or at my neighbor's house. Like that's, that's good stuff for me. Or your neighborhood dollar general. <laughs> yeah, no. The only thing I get there is herpes. Okay. Wow. I just, it's worth a dollar. All right, Drew, do we have one uh, more? I'm, I'm good. If you're good. Cause I can push one of mine to the Tardar. I'm okay, I think. Cool. In in the real world, like they would put Frank on just a ton of meds, right? Like there's like no way, like there's like no getting around that. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of, um, especially in terms of like talking about like the homeless population, which is disproportionately made up of veterans. Like if you look at the proportion of veterans in the United States versus the proportion of like if you took like 15 to 20 random homeless people, like there are a larger number of both addicts or even 100 or 200 homeless people. Yeah, or 200. Um, you know, you would find more veterans. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that, like, Frank is going untreated. I think that's one of the things that might be more realistic about the show in terms of how they're approaching it. What do you think? Well, there was, like, a stigma in the show as well about how um, Curtis kind of pr pretty much says, like, meds are useless when he's talking about is in the hole. And they give you more meds and the meds don't get you out. And then you're stuck in the hole and you're out of meds. That that kind of that kind of stuff bothers me because a that stuff does happen. Yeah, 
you, you, there are people and there are institutions that when you come at them with a real mental illness, they'll throw a bunch of lithium at you or some SSRIs and, and say bye-bye. Th- that, that has happened to people, and yeah, I don't sure. deny anyone else's experiences with that. But then they turn that into a cute little story about being in the hole. It's like, chances are, and this has happened as well, someone gives you pills and then they also say, here's a therapist for you to go to. And then they... And plenty of people either have one bad time at the therapist or they have um, or they don't go and they think the pills are fine and they don't want to deal with that pain and they self-destruct as well. That happens a lot with the homeless as well. Like at some point, help was offered to them and they said no so many times they went homeless. Now, I'm not saying like every homeless person that they're at fault for that kind of thing. The stories are just a lot more complex than something you can put into a cute little story. Yeah, in one minute. This might go on the Tartar, but there's a very interesting podcast I listened to which talked about the VA. And um, it kind of went in-depth into what the VA does. But one of the things that the VA does, which is interesting, is it's actually one of the most influential medical institutions in the United States because it's the largest medical system in the United States. It serves 9.3 million people. And so no other private insurer or insurance or medical system serves that many people. And so... Um, This podcast actually pointed to um, the VA being part of the opioid crisis because in 2005, um, the VA adopted pain as a um, symptom of life. You know how like you used to go to the doctor and they would take your pulse and they would check your blood pressure and they would check your, your mouth and your nose and those were called life signs. In 2005, the VA started using pain as an indicator as a life sign. And so in 2007, the general medical community started to as well. And so when, you know, people started going to the doctor and the doctor would say, tell me about your pain, show me on the pain indicator where you are, are you in any pain today? There are theories that people started to key in on that and say, if no one had asked you about pain, maybe you wouldn't have brought it up. But if someone directly indicates what kind of pain are you in today, that kind of engendered people or encouraged them to talk about pain. And that kind of also led to like overprescription and there are studies and there are some ideas there, but it's interesting how the VA played a part in that because they adopted pain as a life sign indicator two years before like the AMA did. Do, do they call that the uh, me-seek scale? My goodness. <laughs> yes. How long have you been in existence? Which, by the way, I bet you Camus would love a me-seeks box. I do think that that question uh, definitely encourages people to say that. For sure they're they're in pain or it nudges them like that's a real survey fallacy uh or not a survey fallacy just an error that people can make in creating surveys uh i even get certain phone calls with that um with that kind of stuff like on a scale from one to ten uh how much do you you hate this this congressman or whatever it's like what if i don't like what the the scale already is balanced against it but well farm farm is in bed with with even med- medical school, my my uh, fiance is in her third year of, of of medical school, and they're already teaching these like students like you hand out prescriptions. One of the major takeaways from med school is is to like hand out prescriptions to solve everyone's problems. It's really sad. I'm I'm actually real glad you you brought that up because I had a doctor. I'm on medical insurance different from my family. So I went to a different doctor and he actually, I high cholesterol runs in my family. So he says, okay, listen, I'm going to give you some cholesterol medication, but I'm also going to recommend that you take up like uh high impact interval training. And I also want you to go on the Mediterranean diet and work in more 
um, more vegetables into your diet. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Like he actually created a real action plan. Meanwhile, my father has like gout and high cholesterol or whatever. He went to the doctor and he says like, well, let me give you three different types of prescriptions. And that he hands the, the paper to my dad. My dad just looks at him. So are you even going to pretend to like, Ask me about my diet or ask me if I'm even moving my ass or anything. And like, I just thought like, wow, there definitely are people that don't really give a shit and will just prescribe stuff to you. I feel like, especially in the Punisher show, one of the things that they say, try and promote is that so many of these problems, especially with the different soldiers, including Frank Castles, they didn't have to be problems. These are all people trapped in a system and the system has either betrayed them or let them slip through the cracks one way or the other. Even Billy Russo was betrayed at some point, and he just took advantage of the cancer. He just took advantage of going private and, and becoming part of that corrupt system. It's, there's plenty of times where if these people were just treated as human beings or just asked, how are you feeling? Instead of how, how do you want your opioids today? Or how yeah, do you exactly. want, how do you, uh, how do you want to spend this mandated 10 minutes um, the, so many of these problems would have been solved. That's another reason why I think the show is so good is they actually talk about soldiers in a way that hasn't been talked about before. Other than, boy, these guys sure are heroes. It's more like, boy, these guys have kind of gotten a raw deal and they're being treated. And even the hero warship is inhumane in a way. I, I think um, Jimbo brought something up like that earlier. Like to me, when he said everyone like smiled or whatever, but I still felt a little bit. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. They're like forgotten or not appreciated. Yeah. To me, it just felt like Vietnam protesters, at least they were honest. And now we've moved on to a slightly more plastic mm-hmm. or passive aggressive treatment yeah, uh, of, uh, of soldiers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jacob, final word. And then, and then we're going to move on. Uh, shit. I don't know. You, you, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Shit. All right. <laughs> All right, Hoisters, and now we're going to move on to our Petardar. And for those of you new to the show, these are recommendations based on whatever we thought while we were watching the show. And so for Dane and Jacob, this could be books, movies, comics, podcasts, your therapist, whatever, man. And so I'll start us off since I'm already talking. And I'm and I'm going to go with um, Garth Ennis, either Born or Welcome Back, Frank, or two of my favorite comic book miniseries and then i'll also add on top of that i think daredevil season one or two is is worth watching as well and then just 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 for drew dexter (laughs) seasons one through through four-ish i i literally had a friend snapchat me the surprise motherfucker scene from dexter you know with sergeant dokes I, it's like, oh my god, what a blast from the past! And now you bring this up. Oh, it's so good. Dexter now comes up every episode of this fucking podcast, practically. Not, um, practically, that's a sign of sure. a top tier. So podcast. on my petard art this week, um, I want to come back to something that Jacob talked about, like this idea of like hyper patriotism in word rather than action. And so I want to recommend um, a charity organization that I have contributed to financially. And I did yesterday, actually, too, because I was thinking about action versus word. And it's called justiceforvets.org. And basically, um, about six years ago, there was a program called um, Drug Treatment Court. And what it was was basically like a non-competitive courtroom environment for um, drug offenders. And so basically, like, the prosecutor and the defense attorney and the judge and the person who's being prosecuted all work together. 
So there's no winner and loser. It's just people getting people treatment. And then four years ago, this program was extended exclusively for veterans. So um, Justice for Vets started in three states with 16 courts. It's now over um, 20 states with 300 courts. And when you contribute to them financially, they have a five-star charity navigator rating because they take a lot of their donations and just use it to extend it. So it's a special court that veterans have access to where it's non-competitive. It's focused more towards treatment as opposed to punishment. And, you know, it really hopefully answers some of those questions that the character Lewis was bringing up. You know, like, where is the treatment? Where is the recognition? And instead of, like, giving someone, you know, pats on the back or wearing ribbons on your lapel, it's an organization that does something specifically for veterans. Nice. And and I will add that um, that most veteran nonprofits are notorious for being complete scams where they spend like 90% of their money on advertising and their advertising is like all their like cousins and best friends that work, you know, for their advertising departments. If I could tack something on there and this is political, but nonpartisan, like just, just pay attention when they raise the uh, Pentagon budget, but not for the VA. I mean, I, I don't think it's right that, you know, we get into more conflicts and, uh, you know, Raytheon gets all the money, but, you know, uh, piss off to the troops, which is why for my recommendation, it's actually going to be a series of three graphic novels. It's going to be Punisher Born, uh, Punisher Max, Valley Forge, Valley Forge, and then uh, Punisher the Platoon. Um, and the reason why I say these is because out of all the comics and graphic novels I've read, you know, Watchmen's probably top tier in terms of like where comics meets literature and these three comics put together because they tell one consistent story. So they're all linked together by similar events. It's the next best thing to literature. And I think with you guys talking about philosophy and all this, the way Innes criticizes the military industrial complex, the, you know, bullshittiness of the uh, troops's mission there, the um tackling of the race issues for the day like he's able to just blend it in there and it's something only a foreigner could have done only someone not from this country could have overcome the hyper uh hyper patriotism and wrote this story and it's fantastic and i recommend anyone who listens to this go out and just just buy it don't look back and read it it's fantastic is uh innis canadian he's irish he's irish Irish. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, North uh, North Irish, yeah. All right, Dane, what's what's in your petardar, sir? You know what's funny is everyone, of course, is recommending Garth Ennis' Punisher work, but he actually, one thing I really appreciate about Garth Ennis is that he kind of just slides in certain comics under the radar. Incredibly irreverent, funny stories. Alan Moore created a Kickstarter comic book series called Cinema Port purgatorio has anyone heard of that no nope yeah it, it's it's the uh i believe it's the sixth comic series that alan moore has made ever since he said he's quitting comics forever the whole point is that there's a whole anthology of comic stories there and Garthenis is one of the writers there and he writes a short series called a uh, cult code prue which is literally an emt worker in new york city who because of city budget cuts, basically the men in black or the Illuminati have made cutbacks. And now the city EMT workers have to deal with werewolves that get shot or the succubus that gets 
a uh, an STD and they got to bring them into the and the thing is she was not made aware of this she was not made aware that she's gonna have to be dealing with the supernatural every day now and she has a another EMT worker that's kind of a vet he's been dealing with this shit for a while it's like yeah yeah um you know just be careful with this uh with this werewolf he has HIV it, it's just almost like office space but done in um with with a weird supernatural element. Another one is Jimmy's Bastards, which is Garth Ennis just basically taking the... Just like how Garth Ennis took the piss out of superheroes with... um The Boys. boys. The Boys is coming to Cinemax. Jimmy's Bastards is literally just James Bond is... What if James Bond's kids, all his bastard children, rose up against him? You know, uh, and so that's literally what it is. It's that there's a guy named Jimmy... He is clearly not James Bond. He gets teamed up with a uh, a clearly modern woman that doesn't want to fuck him. And he's actually rather respectful to her. But one thing they find out is that he has been fucking for like 40 years across the world. And um, all of his children hate him. And they've basically created like a whole terrorist system. And... Um, and and they want to destroy their father and they do all the James Bond shit where they here's your gadgets and here's your doomsday device because it's Garth Ennis. The doomsday device is everyone switches genders. All the men get, t- get uh, ovaries and titties. All the women get dicks and the world is like literally going insane over this shit. And now Jimmy and his partner have to stop this. What Garth Ennis is doing is like, the whole idea of James Bond is fucking bananas. Like he's a killing machine that never stops fucking. There would be clear consequences for this in real life. He just breaks that down into like it's absurd elements. It's one of my favorite series and no one's heard of it. I think it's being published by IDW. Well, well, I mean, that's one of the things Ennis is great for. I mean, even the boys, I had heard that uh, the way that got started was Ennis started seriously thinking about that line from Watchmen who watches the Watchmen. And he's like, Hmm, I'll tell you who watches The Watchmen. Yeah, pretty much. I always suggest the, the dumbest of shit, if you've ever watched uh, our Discharge Papers, and I'm continuing that tradition now. All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks a lot for uh, joining us today. Hopefully uh, you guys didn't have anything else to do tonight because we definitely went a lot a lot longer than, than I was planning, but, but uh, I like what we got yeah. so far. Yeah. As warned at the beginning of the show. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. This is very interesting. No, yeah, uh, definitely thanks for uh, having us on. And then, uh, you know, I want to be a little needy like Dane here. And if you guys decide to do the Cobra Kai pilot, hit me up, man. Hit me up. I hear hear a lot of things about that one, man. That's the Karate Kid spinoff? Yeah, YouTube Red. Yeah. Dude, it was fucking phenomenal. Like the best thing I've watched in a while. No, I think I'm going to have to uh, go ahead and hit the hit the sack. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm still getting over fucking. What do they call the it? Food when poisoning. You have Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Oh, Jacob, dude, but Jacob's fucking, the true yeah. warrior. Yeah, dude, that was. Oh man, it it, it was. Champ. So we went to uh, this place called Pay Way, which is basically like uh, P.F. Chang's version. A bad yeah. idea. It's P.F. Yeah. Chang's version of uh, Panda Express, mm. and. Uh, Basically, I we think that the food was undercooked, and then, um, yeah, at, at about eight o'clock last night, I undercooked and sitting <laughs> yeah, out for probably. twelve hours. That's you know, a recipe for disaster. And so, like, I probably puked up a gallon of fucking vomit Oof. last night, and 
it was all gross. I, That's the way to yeah, get it and out. I had to fucking call into work today, and I was just miserable. But thank you for inviting uh, Jake and I. This was actually a. Re- I really enjoy the format you guys have here. Nice. Oh, thank you. All right, listeners, and so now we are going to finish up the show with our quest for the best. And for the new listeners, this is where we try and rank Punisher 3 a.m. with our continuous list. And so Drew and I already have some ideas about where we think it should go. We do, and it is late. It is late for sure. I'm 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 gonna say I still think it's better than Rick and Morty, worse than worse than X-Men the animated series. If you sincerely believe it is better than Rick and Morty, I can respect that decision. But Based on, like, because the thing is, even Dane was super hype on the pilot at the beginning of this episode, but the more we talked about it, the more there was just inconsistency after inconsistency, mostly relating to Donnie, but the thing is, I still don't like the morphing of Frank into the Punisher based on Donnie getting dealt a bad hand, because he shows disdain for Donnie, and then that, what, like, puts him right back in to kill the whole crime family, it's a bit inconsistent there, and I think there were better choices they could have made. The high points are high, but... All right, what, what are you saying? So you're, so you're saying below Rick and Morty, which which would put it where? I would put it above Friday Night Lights, but below Rick and Morty. Okay, so so you want to squeeze it in between Rick and Morty and Friday Night Lights. I can do All right, that. All right, then that is where I think we should put it. I, I agree, though, with Dane's MVP. I think that... Burnthal is charismatic, you know, like he's magnetic on the screen. Sure, dude, and that guy's a methods actor. That guy's, I think he'd be a crazy person to live with. Yeah, I mean, I imagine. So, have you have you ever seen um, me, Earl, and the Dying Girl? He's a no. really funny, cool. Yeah, he's a really funny, cool teacher in that. Oh, I should it's awesome. That. He's nice. great in everything. He's one of those character actors that you're just like, I'm down, I'm down for this. Well, I haven't really seen him do anything outside of the same role that he's doing with the Punisher. Like I've seen him in in the Accountant, which I really like, but it's kind of like he's playing the similar character. I like the Accountant too. Oh, I've sorry, I've seen him in a couple other things when he was younger. You know, like he's definitely has like his role now where he's kind of beefed up and he's an action hero. And that's definitely him, the Accountant. But I've seen him in a couple other things, and he is he's awesome. I'm glad he's getting a shot here. So what we got here now is. The Punisher sliding ahead of Friday Night Lights, um, but behind Rick and Morty, and I'm glad we kind of came to that spot. We initially talked about it being a bit higher, but I was having trouble, especially the more I thought about that pilot. Yeah, this this is one where the rewatch hurt it, and then the discussion of it also hurt it. That puts the Punisher at number 11 out of 27. That's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. All right, so we have the Punisher coming in at 11. Nice. And next week, Hoisters, we are going to be tackling the pilot for Better Call Sal. No. Well, uh, we have a special guest next week, and that's going to be um, he's going with a Hoistler's Choice. So we have a guest coming on, and it's a Hoistler's Choice. All right. So for episode 28, we are going to have a co-Hoistler Choice from our guest, mystery guest, L. Our mystery guest, L. Mystery guest, L. Yes. All right, and then we are going to wrap up the show. Yep, um, we are. Shop Talk is going to be uh, non-existent this week. We had plenty of talk. Yeah. So, plugs, we have our official closing music. is an instrumental track by Entheos, titled Alive. 
our intro music and our very last little piece at the end of the show was mixed by Jake Drew. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You can join our Facebook group and always stop by our website to continue any of these discussions and follow Illo, our blog, to participate in our pre-recording discussion. Drew, anything else to add? Uh, follow us on Twitter. And by the way, uh, Tori D. Creek update. She got tired of season five and skipped right to the season finale. Good choice. Yes. All right, listeners. So if you can't tell by the music, the show is almost over. But if you love us as much as we love us, you should have been listening the last hour, maybe 90 minutes plus. Oh, yes. So there's a lot of uh, PMP to love this episode. Yes. So every day we hoist the lint, Jimbo out, and you can look forward to the motherfucking magical Miss Mo joining us in two weeks. We miss her. And we didn't even make fun of her this episode. All right. Uh, oh, shit. I know. Every day we hoist the lint, Drew out. <laughs>